Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your hosts, Rob Clark, and with us, as always, Mr. Ed Katz. Ed, how you doing? So happy to be alive and be here. Hello, listeners. Hi, Rob. You having a good day so far? Not too bad? Wonderful. Great. Good. Thanks for asking. I hope you are too. I am. It's off to a good start. This is a Saturday morning and get to hook up and, and do a little podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Yep. All right. Our podcast today, Ed, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's talking about uh, the workplace today. And do you think that uh, employees want to be praised for the job they're doing? Do you need to give them some accolade, a little pat on the back? That's kind of what we're talking about today. And we've titled this one, What? You Want Me to Praise Them for Doing Their Job? And I think with that title, you can kind of tell that the, the conversation is directed at maybe management, ownership, things like that. Would that be fair to say? You're right. Spot on. Okay. So, Ed, let's just dive in. And in, in this day and age, I mean, do you really think there's managers? I mean, you came up with this topic. Is there managers that you see or hear of that still kind of have that tactic of screaming and yelling and kind of you know, putting fear to try to get people to respond the way they want to or, or get them to do their jobs the way they want them to. I wish I didn't know what I know, but I know for a fact it's alive and well. Mental abuse, screaming and yelling, cursing at employees is still alive and well in America. And, and I got to ask, why do you think some owners, you know, or general managers or bosses in general, why do you think they use this tactic for trying to, you know, get their employees to do good work? I talked to many own, owners of companies over the years, and I've been told by the ones who I feel are abusive that they believe that if they praise their employees, the employees are going to turn around and ask for what? a raise. So they use the big stick and not the carrot and they feel they control their employees and motivate them out of, out of fear. And that's how they do it. I'm just going to give you my opinion. I think with that type of tactic, you don't get the best out of your employees. And, And we may jump into this a little bit more as we get into this, but, um, do you have any, first-hand experience uh, that this does exist today and uh you know name names if you want to yeah i'm going to be inviting <laughs> litigation right <laughs> no way jose <laughs> anonymous anonymous sources say yeah. but verified anonymous sources uh i have had over three thousand employees for my iomi online office moving training and for in-person training over the years and I have counseled many of them, and I always invite my, my students to call me if there's anything I can ever help them with. And there have been a number of calls over the years where um, they call and, and really um, don't know what to do because they're in an abusive relationship with their employers, with their employers. And they are caught between a rock and a hard place. They love doing what they do for a living but they're in fear every day um, because they um, 
they're they're screamed at, yelled at, and cursed at. And uh, it's 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 in my opinion, it's, it's prevalent. Well, I I. I... I just can't get over that. You know, I think most, and the reason I say that is, you know, we think about the, uh, the, the society today and, and the workforce and who makes up that worst workforce. And we talk about millennials and, you know, it hasn't been a topic here the last couple of years, but for two or three years back, it was always, you know, how the, the millennials wanted to be treated in the workplace. You know, they, they come from a different kind of upbringing and, and thought process and what a workplace was and how they treat been, how they deserve to be treated and what they deserve to have in a workplace, whether it be, you know, certain type of office, a company car, all these kind of things. And that was the real topic. And I thought I saw a bigger uh, shift in corporate America trying to accommodate these requests from, you know, the millennials to make sure that that the talent that was out there could be hired and retained. But you're kind of telling me that's, that may be the bigger piece of the pie, but you're telling me it still exists that these toxic managers are still out there doing the things they do. I I really believe that they're out there. And I think what happens ultimately is the employee is dragged down emotionally. I think it undermines the self-esteem, self-confidence of the, abused employee, I think that they tolerate it because of the fear of the unknown. Like if they leave, you know, if they quit, are they going to be able to find another job that pays as well? And let me, let me stop you there. Do you think that's a big part of it? Do you think pay, do you think these toxic managers, managers and owners still know that they have to have some kind of hook because the question would be, why are you staying? Go find another job doing what you do. I think there's two variables here. One is there are the companies that pay these employees so much money, they feel they own them. In this day and age, they they actually tell their employees, whatever I tell you to do, you better do it because I own you, because you're making so much money. The other variable is there are just some people that emotionally tolerate and accept an abusive relationship. And I think what happens is, you know, when they get a new job, the employer is probably not initially abusive. It's like the frog, you've heard this metaphor many times. You put a frog into boiling water, he's gonna jump out. You put a frog into cold water, put him on a burner. And as the water heats up and gets hotter and hotter and hotter, he ultimately boils to death and dies because it's happening gradually. So I think is, you know, we got two, two different variables here and I have, you know, I just have heard so many of my former students and, and, and actually some of the students I work with right, right now tell me that this, this is alive and well. Oh, wow. Well, do you think the, these toxic manager, managers, do they, ever, do they ever give praise, you know, accolades, a little pat on the back to, the, to their employees? And I think that's one of the problems. Believe it or not, it's like a love-hate ambivalent relationship from what I have seen and what I've heard is they'll just is the word eviscerate just destroy the the employee 
And then let's say the employee in the moving industry books a large move. Well, then there's heaps of praise given to that employee. How, you know, maybe that employee is praised in front of all the other employees in the organization. But then the next day, that same employee is just abused again by being screamed at, yelled at, and cursed at. And, you know, they, they'll call me and I'll, I'm a great listener. I really am. And I'll let them vent. And I, have, I don't think I've ever told anybody to quit because I, I know that they need to make that choice themselves. But I do help them recognize they're in a dysfunctional, toxic relationship that can affect them physically, you know, medically. It really can. Sure. And that some of them over time, they ultimately do quit. And I remember saying to my own son, who was in a relationship like that with a former employer, years ago. And I said, my son's name is John. I said, John, you know, I never told you to quit, but I think if you were, if you were more normal than I would like you to be, I think you would have quit this company years ago. And that was hard for me to say to my son, but he, he would vent and feel better at the moment at the time. And then talk about how much money they were paying him and he'll tough it out. You know, one of these macho guys, I'll tough it out, you know, but it took its toll on him. And I just felt so bad for him, but I, I, I bit my lip and didn't tell him to quit when he finally did quit. I can only tell you, he has the most wonderful job that he could ever have in his life. He, he took that leap of faith. He quit this company that was paying him a lot of money and he works for a company now where he loves his boss. He loves his manager. His manager is in a support function for him to nurture him and to support him and to just help, all help, the things. Help. It's, it, you know, it, it worked out. But the fear of the unknown and uh, the, the fear of looking for another job. And uh, he, he just he, he he did it. And I can only tell you he's he's. He's a happy camper now. Well, and I'm going to say we have probably, you know, some, some listeners that are older, been in the workplace for a number of years and, and automatically hear this and go, this isn't right. This type of culture, this type of environment isn't normal in a functioning, you know, workplace or shouldn't be anyway. But there's also maybe some young people that are listening that are just coming into the workplace and maybe they think, you know, because this is their first employment opportunity going, well, this this must be what, you know, working in America is like now. I didn't realize it was like this. And we're here to tell them that's not the case, but I'd like you to, if you could, uh, give an example of good culture. So I'm going to say, ask that question, but I'm also going to say, I'm assuming, I know, I'm not assuming, I know that you had good culture when you ran your company. What was that culture like? What did you create there to make sure people felt whether it be empowered or had your support to be successful or not fear of making mistakes and things like that. Well, before I tell you about our corporate culture, let me tell you a little bit about my own background. When I came, when I came along, when I was the third child for my parents and I was the baby out of three, my parents, I guess they were so tired of trying to raise my older siblings. They just threw their hands up in the air and raised their little baby that would be me with love. 
And my parents thought the sun rose and set on their baby Eddie. I mean, they just, they just loved me so much. They were very affectionate. Everything I did was just great and wonderful. And I believe because of um, that nurturing that I have tremendous, and to this day have tremendous self-esteem and self-confidence so that when I started my moving company, I didn't worry about, am I gonna go out of business? I always saw that glass half full, I think because of my nurturing as a child. And when I came up with my inventions for moving desks full with space gobblers, moving lateral file cabinets full with the spider crane, uh, the matadors for protecting elevator entrances, my computer wraps for moving computers. I mean, I took a risk and a chance that all of these, which caused me a tremendous investment to do the research and come up with the actual prototypes and manufacture them. I had tremendous risk, but I never worried about, am I going to fail? I had so much, I just kept focusing on the bullseye, focusing on the target and wasn't ever distracted by the, you might fail. It wasn't in my playbook. And I attribute that to the, the, the nurturing and the praise that led to my high self-esteem and high self-confidence. And so you're asking me about my corporate culture at my moving company. And when I had my moving company, um, my partner, who at the time was my wife, who ultimately became my ex-wife, but she was the antithesis. She was the opposite of me. She never said please to any employee ever. She never said thank you. So it was like, what, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and I had made her the president because I'm a salesman. You know, I was the inventor, the promoter, the marketing, the sales, and she was the one that ran the company. And she was, she never smiled, but she never thanked any of the employees and they feared her. They really did. So um, I learned though, I learned over the years that, you know, our industry is dominated by men and men, I don't care how macho they are, they need praise. They need not to be taken for granted. They need a attaboy. They need a, you're doing a great job or you did a great job. So um, it was, we had two different opposing influences at my moving company. Know anybody like that? <laughs> that that's, uh, I'm just trying to, how did that work out? I mean, how did the, uh, the culture, how, how did employees respond to that? I mean, it was kind of like a little ping pong game going on. It was, it was. And by the way, I never overruled her. I mean, if she made a decision, I didn't go, they didn't come to me as the good parent and have it changed or overruled. We, one thing, one thing both of us did, we backed each other 100%, but I became the buffer. Does that make sense? Sure. I would try to temper, try to soften, try to oh, just lower the temperature, so to speak, of decisions that she made. Let me give you one example. This is, boy, this just came to mind. 
many times um, we would know a week in advance that a job was going to run on a Saturday till nine o'clock at night because we had to move a lot of volume Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday. And we had to allow for unforeseen contingencies on Sunday. So we would try to really push our moving crews to work extra hours on Saturday. They might work uh, 10 or 11 hours on a Saturday. So if they started the job at 8.30 in the morning, they may not get back to our base till 10 o'clock at night. And I used to say all the time, let's at least know and let them know, let the employees know, don't make any plans for a Saturday evening. Let's tell them now on Monday that the big weekend job where they're going to get a lot of hours and make a lot of money is going to run late. And she would say to me, it's not necessary. They know they have to stay out there and work until they finish. I said, but wouldn't it be great if um, they wanted to take their girlfriends or their wives to dinner or to a sporting event or to a show, whatever, if we gave them a heads up not to make plans for Saturday night, wouldn't that be better for morale? And she would always say to me, not necessary. Well, I used to, not, and this is not overruling a decision. I mean, they were still going to work as late as they had to work on a Saturday, but I would try to let them know beforehand, we're going to get as much done as we possibly can on Saturday. So you don't have to work as late on Sunday. Does that, I, I wrapped and packaged it in a way. There was no reason not to let them know, give them a heads up, but it was different management styles. I guess in her mind, she felt that she was the dictator. I think she thought that we paid more than anyone else in the industry. I mean, we had employees that made, especially supervisors, a lot of money and we, we paid big bonuses. And I think because of that, she just felt they were indebted to her. And I didn't look at it that way. I, I'll be honest with you. I always looked at my job at my moving company as being in a support function to help my employees, who many of whom were average when they came to work for us. And I was in a support function to help them become extraordinary players to just, we kept, I kept raising the rail and, and doing everything I could to help them accomplish and achieve far more than they could have without my support. And I tried to make their jobs safer, easier, more efficient, enjoyable. And, and we had happy campers. We really had employees who loved the company, loved working at our moving company. And then that was contagious. That in turn gave us happy customers. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that just makes sense uh, to have that type of approach because I think, uh, one, I think if you rule with fear and yelling and, and uh, you know, screaming and getting in people's faces, uh, to me as human beings, if, if you're fearful all the time of making a mistake and what the consequence will be for that mistake, you're going to make more mistakes. I mean, to me, if you can work in an environment where you know that, you know, we always say that the best way to learn and gain experience is to make a few mistakes along the road. That's the best way to learn. Now, obviously, you don't want to make the same mistake five times. But, uh, you know, creating an environment where people are just fearful, to me, creates an environment that mistakes and those issues are just going to continue to happen where you feel like 
it's the employee not good at their job. And really that's not the, the problem. The problem is how you're handling and taking care of that employee. You're not helping them reach their potential to be the best that they can be. I agree with you. I, and at our company, my employees had so much self-confidence and self-esteem. They were always, I would ask them and they would always give us ideas on how to make the job safer, better, more user-friendly for the customer. And uh, an employee that still works at Peachtree Movers, my goodness gracious, he's been there probably 40 years, Robert Coleman. Robert Coleman was the best loader we ever had in our lives. And it was Robert Coleman that came up with a better way of keeping the furniture on the four-wheel dolly, on the floor of the truck. Why did he come up with that idea? He knew that I was always asking, is there a better way of doing what we do? Make it easier, safer, less complex. And so because we instilled this in Robert's psyche, he said, Mr. Katz, I have an idea. And I was so excited. What was it, Robert? And he told us, and we backed the truck up and we took surplus furniture from our warehouse and we experimented. And that's what we teach in IOMI today. Robert Coleman's the reason IOMI has a unique process that makes loading so much easier. Dexter Cook, who still works at Peachtree Movers 40 plus years, took my space cobblers, which were which I invented for moving desks with the contents remaining in them by inflating a bladder inside of them. It was Dexter Cook who came up with the idea of using them in flat files so we could move the contents inside of flat files safely with our space cobblers. It was ingenious how he figured it out. But again, he took that leap of faith of thinking, trying it out, coming to me, asking what I thought. And I believe all that happened because of the culture that I helped create at our moving company to encourage them to come up with better ways and better ideas. I don't think in my entire lifetime at that company, I ever screamed or yelled at any employee ever. Good for you. I always, and I always said, thank you. And I always said, please. And I really meant it. And I, to this day, I mean it. I mean, I really do. I, I really always appreciated our employees. Maybe because I started off in the industry on the back of a truck as a mover helper. And I know how dangerous this job is and how the shippers on a residential move are looking at their watch and looking at you and you're not moving and working fast enough. And I mean, I know how challenging this job is. And maybe that's part of me too. I don't know. No, I agree with you though. I, I think that is, and I, I try to be the same way, Ed. And, and I, I just think you get more out of people being positive with them than you do, you know, negative. And, and it makes me think, you know, I'm thinking about our company, our business and the culture we try to build. Uh, it makes me think that the companies and that culture that you're describing, I can only assume that the turnover of employees has to be great. And the managers and owners must be just thinking that there are no good employees in this town instead of kind of looking inward and going, why are we not able to retain good talent at our office? You know? Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. I've read that wall street hates Costco. Really? Because they think they pay their employees too much money. They have too many benefits and they really treat their employees very, very well. The turnover, the attrition 
at Costco is a fraction of what it is at other competing comparable retail or wholesale retail outlets like Costco. And Wall Street says, if you lowered what the, the pay that you pay these employees and didn't give them all those benefits, then your earnings per share would be much higher and the price of your stock would be way higher than it is. So Wall Street doesn't like that business model. Interesting. Huh? That is interesting. Well, do you, on that topic, do you know of any uh, studies that have been done or research on yeah, well, kind of what's the best way to, to build a culture or what's the best way to treat employees? Well, if you do a Google search, which I did before our podcast today, it's well documented, well documented that when employees quit a job for another job somewhere else, another position, the driving force behind their departure, it's rarely because of the money. It's most of the time they say on their way out the door, they weren't appreciated and they had a conflict with their direct supervisor or manager. And monster.com did a survey and they found that the number one, the number one characteristic job, job seekers desired in a workplace was the feel that they were a valued, important, appreciated employee by their employer. Interesting, huh? So not just the money. Yeah, it's a, obviously you have to make enough money to sur survive and pay your bills. But the number one motivation as to why they chose one company over another was the feeling that they were considered a valuable, a valuable employee. Think of that. Isn't that something? Yeah. And, and I, and I think it's spot on. I mean, uh, you know, just, just us who have worked our way up like you, I started on the trucks and everything. And, uh, I can just remember, you know, experiences and, and managers along the way who, who had good culture and, and kind of cultivated that with me. Uh, and I appreciate that and try to take what I've learned from those people and, and, you know, apply it today when we do our work. So I think it's very, very important. I think human beings are, are very emotional and sensitive people and, uh, I, I think I, it makes me think of the podcast we did with Vince when he, he made the comment, you know, uh, when, when somebody says, hey, it's not personal, it's just business. Uh, and he went, you know, that's not true. You know, you should never say that. It is personal because we're human beings with emotions and feelings and everything seems, you know, a little bit personal. So you have to kind of take that into account with the way you treat your employees. Um, I don't know. It just made me think of that. But let's do this, Ed. Let's, uh, well, let me say this, too, to the listeners. And, and if this sounds like a down and sad and kind of depressing type of podcast, we don't mean for it to be that way. We want it to be more of an information to, to people out there listening, um, maybe for people to, you know, kind of evaluate and reflect how they either manage or how they're being treated at their, their place of employment. We want people to just kind of take this and just, you know, understand that these things are still out there. And if you're in a situation like that, you shouldn't be, you know, have the courage, have the, you know, reach out if you need to. And, uh, there's ways to, uh, to get out of those situations and find another opportunity where you can be happy. Your son, John, being an example of that, uh, Ed, but I agree. if you wanted to summarize this podcast and, and wrap it up, what would be your closing thoughts to the listeners? Hmm. Well, how about this? Based upon my good experience 
you know, I, I just urge managers and bosses to recognize and praise, praise their employees. I mean, I think that the company will be a lot more successful if they do. And, you know, it's been my experience that the, the, the benefits of treating employees well far outweighs the risk of treating them poorly. You know, don't worry that they're going to ask you for a raise. Don't worry that they're going to take advantage of you. That I don't, I think that's just. Well, I, I think it gets back to what you said about money. People need to make money, but that's not the main reason they leave a job. I also think, you know, I've, I've seen situations where people have been offered more money, but they don't want to leave the culture and what they have because they know this is a great working environment where I'm currently at. So I think it goes both ways to your point, Ed. That's very profound and very true. And I'm sorry, I didn't think that you're right about that. That's you want to retain good employees, treat them well, give them value in terms of praise, recognition, help them boost their self-esteem and self-confidence. Who in their right mind would leave if they went into another environment that wasn't as great as yours? That's really good, Rob. Yeah. Well, Ed, this has been a, 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 Great episode. I really think it has. It was a good conversation and a topic that, you know, some of us live in our world and our box and, and the culture that we create. And we don't, we don't, we think everybody's like us, right? Um, you know, I would hear about these types of environments many years ago, but had no idea, Ed, until you enlightened me that they still exist today. They do. They do. Well, thank you, Rob. Thank you, listeners, for another successful podcast and uh, hope to talk to everyone again very soon. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the commercial relocation happy hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move. <laughs>